Welcome to the latest podcast in the Workplace series from the People Mentor, Nicola Richardson. Hi, welcome to the latest podcast from Nicola at the People Mentor. Today, I'm interviewing Joe Happiness Howworth. Have I said that right, Joe? Have, yes. Oh, brilliant. I'm not very good with names, I have to tell you. And her business is the Happiness Club. Um, welcome, Joe. Really, really excited to have you on this podcast. So thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Uh, I'm really looking forward to talking to you and getting to know you a bit more. Um, so I thought we'd start with, tell us a bit about your business first, what it is and how long it's been going. Okay, so my business is called The Happiness Club. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I basically, I teach people how to be happy um, <laughs> because I think that happiness is the most important thing in mm-hmm. life. Yeah. Fun, I think that whatever the thing is for you, the thing that you feel is missing or the things that you feel are missing from your life, and most of us feel there's something missing from our lives, I think that what you're actually after in the having of that thing yeah. is happiness. Yeah. Um, so, so, yeah. So, I mean, by trade, I'm a mindfulness practitioner. Right. I'm an advanced hypnotherapist. Mm. Um, so I use a cu- those two practices and a couple of others in all the work I do. Um, and the work is quite broad. I, I run workshops in businesses. I run workshops in schools. I teach children mm. from four to 18 and the teachers that teach them. Um, mm. and I run, my company's called the happiness club because it is an online club that you can join. And mm. uh, my members get direct access to me whenever they need it. Mm. And they get monthly webinars, live webinars every month and daily messages from me with a strategy in for them to use that day. So it's a quick little video, first thing in the morning, two or three minutes long, that gives them um, think about life like this today, or try this today, Mm. or why are you being so hard on yourself about that today? And it just encourages them every single day to take a small step towards changing their mindset, changing the way they think, and seeing the world for the brilliant thing it is, rather than plodding through life which most people do yeah do you know that sounds really good and I know it's a very very reasonable price um and so you're giving an awful lot there for for the monthly subscription and that that really is um something worthwhile because people do have ups and downs and we do see mental health on the increase so this is something that you can do yourself through through your support to to um, actually stop it stop mental health becoming a bigger issue really in a way isn't it? It's, it's designed to be a way to help you look after your mental well being. Mm. But um, but it's like one of, one of my members said to me today actually she said uh, it's like having a therapist on tap. whenever I need them so sometimes you know you might go weeks without needing anything without needing someone and Mm. then you get a rough patch and you've got me on call basically I'm on call I I spend a lot of my time answering messages and phone calls and emails from my members who are going through something specific Mm. at that moment in time and I'll support them through whatever they're going through Mm. come out the other side of it and I set the club up because 
as a jobbing hypnotherapist, I used to get a lot of people, I do a lot of networking, and I used to get a lot of people saying to me, oh, I need your services so much. I wish I could, I can't afford to use you and I wish I could. And, mm-hmm. and I just wanted to find a way to make what I do as affordable and accessible to as many people as possible. That's fantastic. That really is. Um, and I know very much from the things I've seen that you, you, you really do push home this bit about happiness. And I love the fact that you talk about happiness in the business as well, um, which I think is essential because you're at work for so much of your life. You know, if you can't be happy in work, <laughs> then, you know, no wonder there are mental health issues. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, so to- totally support you in what you're doing. So it's brilliant. Um, so who helped you think calmly and move into this sphere? And, you know, and who made this change? Who helped you with this change in life? I'm really intrigued. Okay, so there's, there's two main people mm-hmm. and then lots of others. But um, I, I was introduced to hypnotherapy in my 20s. Um, um because i i didn't have the best upbringing it was it was i don't want to diss it completely it was okay but i grew up in a very negative environment my parents were divorced my stepdad was an alcoholic mm-hmm. um and so i grew up large i i i grew up walking on eggshells feeling scared a lot of the time mm-hmm. i was very very negative um and when i was 25 my biological dad dropped dead of a heart attack which turned oh. the world inside out and upside down yeah and I, I i had this period of time where i was completely lost i was, didn't know where i was going or what i was doing or who i was or anything um i was in utter turmoil really that's the word that springs to mind mm-hmm. um, and a very good friend of mine was seeing a hypnotherapist at the time and recommended that i start seeing him too so I did, and I was a total skeptic. The only reason I went along was because I was so lost and I mm-hmm. didn't know what else to do. Um, and it changed my life completely, completely. I'd never met anybody who thought the way that he thought, who could see, even when something rubbish happened, could see that, that there was learning there or there was mm. a positive there. I'd just never been taught to think that way. Mm. Um, and so slowly I started to change my thinking and mm-hmm. probably got to a point in my life where I felt okay. Mm-hmm. Not super great, but okay. Yeah. And so sort of, you know, plodded on through life. And then I had my two children mm-hmm. and I went a bit doolally, <laughs> to be honest. Um, having kids, again, while it was the thing I wanted more than anything in the world and always mm-hmm. It was a very much more difficult than I thought it was going to mm. be. Um, and yeah, I went a bit doolally for about the first six months of my second daughter's life. Mm. Um, blur, I don't remember most of it. Was it a type of postnatal depression? I don't think I was as far as postnatal depression. I think it was just, everything just felt like it was in, a, I just felt like I was in a whirlwind constantly. Mm-hmm. I couldn't grasp onto anything. And all of this stuff from my childhood, 
that I had experienced as a child, mm. I was started to repeat all these patterns of behavior that I knew weren't really mine. They weren't how I wanted to be as a mummy. Mm. Um, and yeah, I mean, it came to a head one day, I found myself screaming in my eldest daughter's face. And, and at the time she was three and a half mm. um, and caught myself, you know, when you have one of those out of body experiences, mm. Mm. I kind of caught myself doing it and going, what am I doing? This mm. isn't what I want to be doing at all. Um, mm. And that propelled me, that realisation propelled me back to my hypnotherapist for more, because I obviously had some stuff to deal with. Mm. And as a result of going back to see him about that, I then started training with him. He told me he'd been waiting about 10 years for me to be ready to train with him wow. um, so I, I started training with him and then halfway through my training with him I came across mindfulness mm-hmm. again because I saw this guy speak at an event um, and he just blew me away and I kept hearing things about mindfulness and how amazing it was mm. and I couldn't get my head around it because for me when I looked at it it just seemed to be such a simple thing mm meditation and the kind of techniques that you use just seemed to be so easy that I couldn't understand how something so simple would make any difference to you. Mm. So I contacted the guy that I'd seen speak um, and asked him if I could train with him specifically Mm -hmm. Um, and it turned out that he lives about 200 miles away. Um, so we did most of my training on the phone, online. We hardly ever met because we were so far away. But it was him that I I had to train with him. I just knew that mm. who I needed to train with. Um, and it turns out he's one of the foremost um, teachers of mindfulness in the country. And he helped set up a company called Breathworks, which is based in Manchester, which is one of the main mindfulness um, organisations. All right. Um, and... And genuinely, I, I mean, by the time I found mindfulness, I felt like I was pretty sorted. Mm. Um, I didn't really know what kind of impact. You know, I couldn't see what kind of impact it was going to have on my life. But mm. I was curious. I did it out of curiosity, really. Mm. But probably about halfway through my training, I, I realized that actually I felt like someone had found a second pair of eyelids and, <laughs> and, and opened them. That's the only way I can describe it. I just yeah. felt like... I, I had properly opened my eyes wow. to, to what was around me and the world around me and the possibilities and the opportunities. And the, I just realized I, even with the new positive thinking that I'd learned 10 years previously, mm. um, I'd still been looking at life wrong. Mm. In, in, not wrong, I don't like using the word wrong. Mm. Looking at life in a difficult way. When it yeah. doesn't need to be looked at in a difficult way, if that makes mm. sense. Yeah, no, it, it makes totally, totally, total sense. Let me get the words out. <laughs> I, I, yeah, you're so right. I think because I think we beat ourselves up so much and we mm. do all the what ifs and and it's almost a kind of stillness and aren't we bombarded these days? And I don't know, just the whole concept. And I must admit that I still haven't got my head round it, but I can see the appeal and how it can help. Um, and I know I need to find some time to really dig deep and start learning those techniques because I think it would make a difference to me. It, it, 
it would. I, I mean, I would recommend mindfulness practice to, and, and again, it's a lot, there's a lot of um, misconceptions around it. People think it's, you know, you have to become a Buddhist monk and you have to sit there for three hours every day meditating and you have to clear your mind and mm. that's not what it is at all a lot of the mindfulness techniques that i teach in the club mm. um, you know half my members don't even know that they're practicing mindfulness you know mm. such simple stuff um and there's so many really simple quick easy to use techniques that make such an enormous impact you would just think how something so simple can actually have such an enormous impact on your life and the way you think about yourself, the way you think about the world around you, the way you think about how you fit into that world. It makes such a massive difference mm. to the whole kit and caboodle. It really does. Mm. So what lay behind you actually starting the business and, and who were you aiming the services to? So when I first started, like I say, I'd gone back to Eamon, my hypnotherapist, mm. for treatment again, and um, started my training as a result of that. And so I was, for the first three years or so of my business, I was just a jobbing hypnotherapist. Um, mm -hmm. And then I, like I say, I started to get have these conversations with people where they wanted to use the services but couldn't afford them. And when you're in a, and I'm sure you'll understand this, when you're in a business where your desire is to help other people, mm. to be told that money's the only thing that's stopping them from getting the help is heartbreaking because obviously mm. you run a business, so you can't do it for free, but your, mm. you know, your number one um, objective is to serve others, is to help others. So then you feel bad for not being able to do it. And at the same time, I was having all these conversations with people about happiness and happiness just seemed to keep coming up and up and up. Um, uh. And I wanted to find a way to help people help themselves. Because again, that was one of the biggest things that I'd learned, especially through the mindfulness training, was that I was the only person that was responsible for me. Huh. I could be responsible for my thoughts, for whatever I was thinking, for however I was feeling, for whatever I was doing, which a lot of people interpret as blame. Huh. It doesn't, I don't interpret it that way at all. I think blame and responsibility are completely different things. Huh. Huh. And I'd spent a lot of my earlier life blaming everybody for the way things were. Huh. But to be told that actually I had control over what happened to me and yeah. how I lived my life was so liberating and so empowering. Yeah. Yeah. Just, you know, you, felt, you feel a bit like a superhero when you just realise that actually this is, this is down to me. Yeah. And I just wanted to help as many people as I could realise that. Um, so my specialism is stress and anxiety because that's where I came from. Right. So that's, you know, when I was in corporate life, I was highly stressed. I was an event manager. It's a very stressful job. Mm. Um, I can imagine. <laughs> yeah. But I realized about halfway through my mindfulness training 
that what I had actually been experiencing for most of my life, that walking on eggshells feeling, that being scared feeling all the time, mm. was quite high level of anxiety. And I had experienced that from the age of four or five. And because I'd experienced it for so long in my life, mm. I never really put a label on it. I didn't realise it was anxiety. I just thought that's the way I was. Mm. It wasn't until I was sort of halfway through my mindfulness training that I realised, I woke up one morning and I had this massive feeling of anxiety in my chest and I realised it was anxiety. And I realised that I, I realised two things at the same time which completely contradict each other um, but are both true. I realised that I'd always felt like that mm. and I'd never noticed before. Mm. I'd I knew, I just knew that I'd woken up with that feeling in my chest every day of my life. Mm. I'd never paid any attention because I was so used to it being there. Mm. that it never had occurred to me to do anything about it mm. it was just part of you yeah. that's how you probably saw it absolutely and I think that's what mindfulness taught me more than anything was that separation between who I really was and the way that I felt mm. they're not necessarily the same thing at mm. all. Um, and to put that space in between don't know how to describe that properly Nicola sorry but to put that space in between mm. is huge it has a massive to realize that I'm not my anxiety mm. I don't have to be my anxiety and I don't have to kowtow to my anxiety or live with my anxiety I mean I don't get many moments of anxiety at all now these mm. um, mm. but to have that knowledge is huge yeah, and, and that's right, it's taking back that control yourself, isn't it? And realising you can make the difference, I suppose. Um, and, I, and I think back, and I, I see an awful lot of employees that are, are suffering high anxiety and don't even probably realise that's what it is, and, and beat themselves up about it when, in actual fact, um, they just need to do some very specific actions, be it join your happiness club um, because then they'll get the tools won't they that will help them move forward and change some of it's changing your thinking isn't it and would you say yes definitely definitely it's all about do you know I think the whole thing boils down to two things it boils down to awareness and it boils down to perception mm-hmm two most powerful things in the world because mm. without that awareness that morning when I woke up and I had that awareness that that was anxiety I felt it every morning and I'd never done anything about it and never noticed it before mm. that awareness then allowed me to do something about it and obviously mm. it's utterly somebody's choice you don't have to you can totally live with it if you want to you don't have to change a lot of people say to me well why are you why are you insisting we have to change I, I don't I'm not mm. This is utterly your choice. If you want to change, I can help you do it. If you don't, that's fine. Um, mm. And again, perception is just as important. I think awareness is the key to mm. this and everything. Perception is unbelievably important because two people can experience the exact same thing and have completely different perceptions. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, um, no. I totally, I totally get that because, because when when I'm having a bad mindset moment, when I feel like I'm being quite negative, I will read a email quite differently from somebody else. Mm. Yeah, amazing, isn't it? It's just absolutely amazing. Really, it is. It is it's, and 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 it, it 
that's what it boils down to and again like i say my experience was growing up in a negative environment so everything was a threat everything was a bad thing so like you're saying about reading an email my natural um flow i suppose would have been to look for the bad stuff in that email mm. whereas now my my natural flow would be to look for the good bits in that email and how i can take some learning out of it or use mm. it or it just changes the way that you do everything mm. at work and home mm. Fantastic. So interestingly, I mean, you talk about working with children as well. So what sort of things do you do with children? So I run um, a four week emotional management program um, in schools, mostly in primary schools. I do work in secondary as well. Um, um, but most of my work's in primary because the children are cuter. It's that simple. Mm. Uh, and um, it's a four week program. So I go into the school one day a week and I work with every year group and I just teach them really simple breathing techniques, positive mindset techniques. I talk to them about their emotions, which you would be amazed. They just don't do. They just, mm. you know, I mean, I think back to my own childhood, nobody ever asked me, no adult ever sat me down and said, um, tell me about when you feel angry, what things make you feel angry. Mm. Do when you feel angry what would you like to do when you feel angry nobody's ever had that conversation with them very <sighs> so that's the first thing i do when i go into a school is i have that conversation i work with reception four-year-olds you know up to 18 but i'll have that conversation with them because no one's and they love it they love being able to say well, the things that make me angry are my brother when he does this and my sister and when my mum tells me I can't go outside and, mm. you know, but mm. nobody's... I mean, I, I, yeah, I think it's really interesting because um, I actually have a grandson who's autistic and, and he tends towards being violent when he's angry yeah. and he's upset and he's anxious and I think he's actually quite a highly anxious child. Um, and we've just been talking about him, funnily enough, about what could we do to support him. And really the support that's out there from the Lincolnshire County Council where we are is quite limited. Um, they don't have the funds. So um, we're really struggling with where to go with it. So what you do sounds really what is needed. And it really is. It, it, it really is. And it's, it's probably the most challenging part of the work that I do because I'm not a teacher. Um, so dealing with you know seven or eight classes of 35 children is you know mm -hmm. bother you <laughs> yeah. um, but it's also the most rewarding part of the work that I do I get a lot of hugs which is lovely yeah. um, but I know I mean I, I took on some trainees last year I trained up seven amazing women in the schools program and the corporate resilience workshops that I run as well mm -hmm training another seven at the moment and actually I'm just recruiting for my next batch to start with me in September and um, one of my new trainers said to me we were having a phone call and she said to me do you know what I can't wait for and I said what she said I can't wait to see the impact that this work that we are all going to be doing over the next 10 years or so I can't wait to see the impact mm. that it has on things like the NHS mm. that's yeah. like Oh my word, I've never thought of it like that before. No, but it's so true, isn't it? It's needed. It's needed more now than ever, I would say. Um, 
to me, it's a little bit, I, it's a sad indictment of our society, but I think we can turn it round. Um, I, I better not start here because I could, I could, I could pontificate for hours, but <laughs> um, I seriously worry about our youth, our children of today and where, and what, what's happening to them and so anything like this is absolutely brilliant and you know I hope hope it continues and it grows um, because it's needed definitely so um, really well done Joe, for starting this thank you, thank you. so um, and also you, you go in as you said to corporates and, and businesses um, and have you as a result of doing this work have you seen an improvement in how employers support their employees with well-being yeah. Um, yes. I, I mean, I I tend to. I do get a lot of companies that talk to me about just doing this training for senior management, mm -hmm. um, and I do my absolute best to dissuade them from mm. my favourite. And actually, I've managed to persuade pretty much every single client I've ever had. My favorite kind of workshop is to do a session with a total mix of mm. all the levels of a company. Mm. Um, so, for instance, at the moment, I'm working, um, I'm doing quite a lot of workshops for a care organization um, in uh, the Northwest. Mm -hmm. and, um, so those workshops I've had. So obviously they have a lot of care workers, a lot of support workers. So I have most of the workshops that I run for them have a mix of those and then office staff and then managers, the managing director, the chief exec, mm. um, all in the same room. Because for me, that's really important. Mm, definitely. The management see the issues that the, um, mm. the people on the job are facing and the, it, the people on the job get to see the kind of issues that management face and it's not the kind of communication that normally happens uh, mm. easily, shall we say, yeah. in, a, in a normal work environment. So to have that forum to actually yeah. understand a bit more about the challenges that each one faces is huge. And, um, and actually quite a lot of the feedback, because this, this care organisation, which is amazing, they've got 750 staff and they they have they, I'm working my way through the entire staff. Brilliant. They decided they want, and the response from the employees on on the feedback forms that I give out at the end, loads of them have put because I I teach them a positive mindset technique called the glad exercise where you find the things that you're glad about in the day. So on my feedback forms it says tell me five things that you're glad about from the workshop, and so many people write on it. I'm glad that the company cares enough to put this on for everybody. Mm. It's, and it's huge. They appreciate it massively, yeah. massively. It has a massive impact. Something really relatively simple yeah. makes them feel valued, listened to, um, engaged. It has a huge impact. Mm. And it changes the way, again, a, a piece of, I ran a workshop there a month or so ago and at the end, one of these managers came up to me and thanked me for the workshop. And I said, that you're very welcome. And she said, I just want to tell you a story. She said, um, I had a team meeting yesterday. Mm -hmm. We have team meetings every month or so. 
um, with, in, with this particular section of her team. She said, last month when we met, there was a member of the team who was completely disengaged, didn't join in, mm. puffed, puffed through the whole meeting, um, was completely disillusioned with the company, with the work he was doing. Just, you know, should I had a, I've had a couple of conversations with him since about his behaviour at the meeting. And we pretty much um, had decided that he will probably, you know, mutual decision, he'll probably need to leave. Mm. She said, we had a team meeting yesterday and he was a completely different person. Wow. Engaged, he was bubbly. He was full of ideas and um, energy and, you know, motivation and da da. And I said, oh my God, that's amazing. She said, so I said to him at the end of the, com- at the, end of the meeting, what's mm. happened? What's the difference? And he said, I've, I've been on the resilience training. <laughs> that's brilliant, isn't it? I'll tell you what, I burst into tears. Yeah. Said, oh uh, my God. That's brilliant. That's just exactly the, what you want, isn't it? Isn't it? Totally. Even yeah. If only happened for one person out of that 750. Mm. That to me is exactly why I do what I do. Mm, that's an achievement. That's definitely a success. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And I'm sure if it's one, I'm sure it'll be more than one. So, yeah. Wow. So, do you ever use hypnotherapy in, your, in the work that you do now as part of this happiness club? I do. Um, yes. I don't work with people on a one-to-one basis very often anymore. I do right. specifically request it. Mm. And I do work with my trainees uh, one-to-one um, mm. because for me, an important part of their training is working on their personal development um, mm. because I work on my own every single day. So I expect the people that I work with to do the same mm-hmm. um, because it makes you I don't think you can go out and train people in this stuff if you're not practicing it yourself. Mm. That, that to me doesn't flow. Um, so yeah, there are um, gentle, shall we say, gentle hypnotherapy techniques built into everything that I do, the workshops, the schools program, um, the club. Um, I send audios out mm. to my club members and if they're in a particular bad way, then I will, I will have a one-to-one, a short one-to-one with them and, use whatever technique is most appropriate really so um so yeah i do still use the hypno hypnosis is a lot of people think it's mind control a lot of people think it's voodoo for me it's the closest thing to real life harry potter magic (laughs) that i have ever ever come across that the the just i can't even have you ever experienced it um i've had it and I've never felt like it's really worked. Okay. Then so is, is, do you have to be receptive to it? Do you think that's what it is? Um, well, it helps to be because obviously it's the same as anything. If you sit in the chair and in your head you're going, this is a load of rubbish, this isn't going to mm. work, then largely it's not going to work. <laughs> um, you know, I mean, when I was a jobbing hypnotherapist, I would have people sat in my chair for to stop smoking for instance but they didn't really want to be there it was their wife or their husband that yeah. them. so it wouldn't work mm. they don't really want to stop smoking and it's mm. the same thing isn't it if you don't really want to change the behavior or the thinking that's right it won't change um so yeah i mean if you're sat there actively resisting it yeah chances are it's not going to have a massive effect mm. um but having said that i have had cl- i mean i had a, a trainee recently who had her first session with me 
a um, couple of months ago and she started with the words I don't think I can be hypnotized <laughs> before and it's never worked and I, I you know I'm not sure I believe in it I don't think I can I can mm. do I don't think it works on me and oh my lord she was a natural mm. she went under in about five seconds flat and <laughs> she came out and she said oh my she was completely blown away um mm. so it, you don't do you know what I mean it doesn't it doesn't not work at all if you resist it um yeah and and i think as well i mean the times i've had it done i have felt i've not been hypnotized but i have come out feeling totally relaxed yeah yeah and that's so. it and again i think a lot of people and then so there's so many different schools of hypnotherapy there's so many different types of hypnotherapy mm. um you know and a vast majority of hypnotherapists a lot of hypnotherapists are what we call suggestion therapists which is really just when you put someone into a state of relaxation and you make some lovely, warm, fluffy suggestions to their subconscious mind, which has mm. an effect, it has an impact, but it's, it's something that you need to do continuously for mm. that impact to be more permanent. Mm. Um, whereas there are schools of hypnotherapy, the one I trained with being one of them, where you do more dynamic work where you have more of a conversation with the subconscious mm. you find out what someone's belief is what their you know what what the block actually is and you remove it you mm. out of the way you find out where it came from if that's relevant and you release it you know most of the things that we believe mm. we believed since we were four or five or most of the beliefs we hold in our subconscious minds are in there by the time we're six mm. so you know, I'm a 47-year-old woman. Is it relevant for me to live my life now according to something I learned when I was five? <laughs> I can say I didn't realise that. Wow. Yeah. But that, I mean, it really isn't relevant for me to do that, is it? My, my five no. perception is completely different to my five-year-old yeah. perception. But my five-year-old is still in there. Mm. Um, and my subconscious mind, along with everyone else's, it, it's, a, it's lovely, but it's lazy. So it will just hold on to that belief. <laughs> I like that description. Yeah. But it will yeah. just hold on to the belief and t for as long as it takes until you mm. the belief. It's, it's that simple. Mm. There's no hypnotherapy is not the only way to remove it, but it is one of the most effective ways that I've ever found. Mm. That sounds very intriguing, I have to say. Oh, you've got me thinking now. <laughs> so moving on, what yeah. are your core values for your business? Uh, okay, so my core values are probably slightly different to everybody else's. <laughs> um, intriguing, again. My, <laughs> I'm glad I'm intriguing you. Yeah. Um, my core values for my business are exactly the same as my core values for my life. Mm -hmm. um, so they are in no particular order, uh, <laughs> love, joy, family, health, peace, yeah. uh, kindness. They're, they're the values that I live by as a person and I run my business as me. Mm. Uh, so, and, and I think one of the things I love actually about the business landscape at the moment um, as this wonderful thing called entrepreneurship grows and a growing number of those entrepreneurs are women no mm -hmm. offense to the men because i'm sure they all have family and love and joy as values too mm. but i think there is a growing number of business people 
who are putting life values at the head of their businesses yeah. rather than profit and you know business yeah. values if you like um and i think that's gorgeous and i think actually i think that will change the world i think it will change yes. i think it is starting to change the landscape of business as as we've known it yes um and i think that's very much needed i think it's a step that we need to take definitely I totally agree with you because I'm very much uh, in, within mine is, is about kindness and caring in the workplace and um, and I am starting to see a shift in the smaller businesses. I wouldn't say, I've seen a bit in the larger organisations but sometimes I worry it's just lip service um, and I would hope that that, they re that it really is changing but I'm still to be convinced properly. Um, but yeah, I, there needs to be a shift, definitely. And I think there are an awful lot of people out there questioning a lot of things, which is turning it around a bit now. Definitely. I mean, it's, it's, I know I've mentioned this care organisation that I'm running workshops for at the moment, but the, the managing director of this organisation is a woman and is, you just wouldn't guess that she's the managing director of such a large organisation. Mm. Um, and she, she hired me to run two sort of pilot workshops and she sat in on the first one and she came up to me after the first workshop and that's when she said, I need you to do this for every single member of my staff. Not because she's paying lip service, not because she's paying mm. box, because she genuinely cares and she understands from, so she genuinely cares about the people that work for her, which mm. is beautiful to see. Um, mm. And she also understands that on a business level, if she looks after them, they can do their jobs better. Yeah, exactly. It's really that simple. Yeah, exactly. So, well, that, that gives me hope. So that's good, isn't it? So uh, in, in a big organisation like that, that, that does give you hope. So how does that tie with your long-term vision? What, what, what does that look like? Are you, are you willing to share? I am. My long-term vision is world domination. <laughs> uh, I do say that fairly lightheartedly, but I do mean it at the same time. Mm. Um, I start, like I said, I started training um, this group of ladies last year. Mm. I'm training another group now and I'm recruiting for a new group in September. So my my plan, obviously, I'm starting in the UK. Mm. Although I did have an inquiry today from a lady in Mexico. Wow with me so you know mm. soon but i um my my vision is to build this team of trainers that can deliver this work into schools and into businesses across the world potentially um mm. and for the club my vision is ten thousand members across the world mm. um, i would love to achieve that goal by the end of this year um because then i can go on for twenty thousand members next year but um Mm. that's my I, I just I think there are so many like I said before my specialism is stress and anxiety mm. so they are people who experience those things and again from a workplace point of view and I have this conversation regularly with people that run companies and things from a workplace point of view there are people in your workplace that experience anxiety and you will not have a clue yep 
that they are experiencing anxiety. Mm. There are people in your workplace that experience depression and you will not have a clue that they experience depression. Mm. And that really is the, from a corporate point of view, that's the thinking behind the club, is that if a company is forward thinking enough to use a tool like the club for mm. their entire staff, they will be helping those people that keep it a secret, that are embarrassed about it, that are ashamed. Mm. I wrote this for the members of my club today, actually, this was their daily message from me today, was I asked them to talk about it, because I said, where at the height of my anxiety when I was working in corporate life, nobody around me had a clue that mm. I was suffering with anxiety. Nobody around me had a clue that I was stressed out of my head. Um, nobody knew any of that. And it wasn't until, you know, nobody in my personal life knew it, let alone mm. in my business life, because I was ashamed of it. Mm. I didn't want to feel like that. And I just, as I said before, I just thought it was part of who I was. And it was a part of who I was that I didn't really enjoy or like. So I didn't want anyone else to know that it was there. Mm. So, um, so I just, you know, from, I genuinely believe that the club has the power to help people without them ever having to voice that they need help mm. until and, they're ready to. And, and the club will help them get to the point where they're ready to voice it as well. Yeah, no. And you know, what a lovely benefit if people and um, businesses are giving that as, as, a, as a, you know, as, a, as something, um, an incentive, whatever, yeah. rather than all some of the things we get now. Wouldn't that be fantastic? Because... Yeah there are masses of people suffering anxiety and stress I think and I'd, and as you say most of them don't admit it um, and it is it's seen as a dark secret that you mustn't you mustn't talk about it absolutely and I've come across businesses that have said to me um, uh, that they do, I mean I had one managing director when I first started I th and, and this is nearly eight years ago and um, I think the landscape has changed a lot there's been a massive shift in the last eight years about the openness mm. to this kind of thing yeah. I did have one managing director say to me um, I don't want to have this conversation with you I don't want to pay attention to this because if I find out if if I find out that anyone in my company um, is experiencing stress then I'm, I'm legally obliged to do something about it. Oh. <laughs> so his, his, yeah. Was to not do anything. Yeah. Because then he wouldn't have to do anything. That makes and, sense. and I would say that I think that that is changing definitely and has changed a lot. Yeah. Um, and some of the big, really big organizations do very much more on, on wellbeing and mental health now. Yeah. But I, I just think they need to start thinking out of the box a bit more. And so instead of giving people um, a simply thanks voucher or, or you know, um, a, a recognition bonus award, maybe there's something around offering people the opportunity to to join the Happiness Club, definitely. So definitely. I just think that would be brilliant. I do too. I'm with you on that one, Nicola. I think yeah. that would be amazing. Um, yeah amazing employee benefit for everybody yeah i really think it would actually you know so well and the other thing that a lot of businesses get quite defensive because they say well we we try and look after our staff so you know it's not our fault if they're stressed and blah blah and i say to them listen their stress their anxiety their depression 
might not be caused by anything to do with work mm. it genuinely might not be it might be totally you know based on their finances or their health or their mm. personal life their relationships it might have absolutely nothing to do with work mm. but the fact that they are experiencing those things is affecting their work yeah Without a shadow of a doubt is affecting mm. their ability to do their work and their enjoyment of their work and Mm. So the more you can do to help them, even without really, do you know what I mean? Like I say, even if it's under the radar, um, the more that is going to benefit your business. Mm, definitely. No-brainer as far as I'm concerned. Definitely. Definitely. There's a lot to think about there. And I hope there's some big employers who are actually listening and, and you know, and small ones who can think a little bit differently and out of the box about things for staff um so what key skills um have you do you think stand out to you from your previous roles because you talked about events managing yeah. as well so what skills out of that do you think you brought to your business okay that's a really interesting question um i think strangely i think i brought reverse skills if that makes sense mm -hmm. um, because when I was a, an event manager I was a complete control freak <laughs> and um, it's part of the job description you have to be to be in events you have to be a details person a control freak because everything has to be perfect you have to be a perfectionist a mm -hmm. event manager will be a total control freak and an utter perfectionist mm. I was both and that's the reason why I was so stressed. Mm. Um, so that experience for me has taught me how I want to be in my business, which is not a control freak mm. um, yeah. and not a perfectionist and mm. done is better than perfect uh, because perfect very rarely gets done. Mm. Um, so I think for me, it's not the skills I brought, it's the skills I left behind, mm. if that makes sense. Yeah, that's sense. really interesting um, insight, actually. And um, you're probably the first person that said it like that. But that's, that's really good because sometimes you do have skills that you do need to leave behind. And I think the bit about control freaks, and, and I see a lot of small businesses who are actually quite control freaks and think mm. they have a small team and they think they need to do it all and won't delegate and won't learn how to delegate properly. Um, and I think there's actually a really good tip there for them from you about not being a control freak and not and not waiting till it's perfect because nothing's ever perfect when you're a perfectionist, is it? Never, so, never, never, never. No. So, um, I'm going to on to second to last question now. So, who or what is your inspiration? So the people that have inspired me the most in my life this is probably a bit of an unorthodox answer again <laughs> the people who have inspired me the most in my life are my children mm. um, I have two daughters they're 11 and 9 and I have learned more from them mm. and more as a result of having them mm. than I have learned in any other area of my life mm. um, and not just about being a person but running a business I've learned how to run a business around two small children mm. making them my priority and working out how you do that and still earn a living and mm. run a business 
they, they inspire me absolutely every single day mm. children are way more naturally mindful than any grown-up i've ever met mm. uh, and yeah. so i always say to people if you want to learn how to relax and let go watch a five-year-old yeah definitely That's definitely all there is to it mm. um, they you know my kids teach me every single day and i'm unbelievably grateful for it mm. Yeah, lovely. Thank you for sharing that. I really appreciate it. So we're on the final question. And what I'd love from you, if it's possible, is what's the biggest tip you would share with other business owners for them to take away from this podcast? The biggest tip I would share with other business owners to take away is to spend as much time as you possibly can relaxing. <laughs> Um, every time you feel frustrated go and relax every time you feel stressed go and relax every time you feel overwhelmed go and relax don't try and forge your way through don't try and push through it don't let the frustration make you think oh, i must do 50 million more things to make this thing work go and do something completely different mm. that you enjoy that clears your head mm. 10 15 20 30 minutes as long as you possibly can you will mm. come back refreshed you'll come back more productive you'll come back probably with the solution to whatever is frustrating mm. i can actually vouch for, vouch for that that's a really great tip thanks Cho. um you know it's not one we normally just say but it's it does make a huge difference and that feeling when your brain goes into meltdown and everything's jumbled together is such a horrible feeling and i think a lot of people do suffer with that so thank you for sharing that one it's been lovely having you i really have enjoyed this conversation with you i could have gone on for hours and asked you lots more questions um but i don't want the listeners getting too frustrated that it's going on for hours so i am stopping it now so thank you for taking part it really is appreciated and it's lovely to be to get to know you a little bit more and this is the people mentor signing off until next time thank you for listening Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. If you need any help or advice, please contact Nicola on Nicola Richardson at thepeoplementor.co.uk. The People Mentor, driving your business forward.